Good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. And good morning to you. I'm Kathy Kayla, and uh, thank you so much for joining me this morning on 101.9 High FM. This uh, next hour, we're going to be talking medical. We're going to be talking medical issues. And um, this is the Dischem Medical Monday, and thank you so much to Dischem for this very kind sponsorship. Um, this is really a platform where we speak to the best experts about problems and my expert is looking at me and he's saying all right let's see Thanks. where this conversation yeah, yeah. goes <laughs> look he's no stranger to him. he is an ENT that's an ears nose and throat um, uh, surgeon and uh, we're talking today about tonsils adenoids and pediatric um, problems so why? Pediatric ENT problems, yeah. Pediatric yeah, ENT, ENT problems, problems right. right. Okay, so um, <laughs> I was actually speaking to Mandy in our office, one of my colleagues. Yes. And um, she was telling me that her tonsils grew back. I said, that's because you're such a giver. <laughs> you know, she just keeps giving and giving. So um, I did not know that tonsils can So yeah, can so they, they take, what so are they? they? Can't, okay, so let's start. Thank you, Kathy, for having me again, and hello to you and your listeners. Um, so the tonsils are part of uh, lymphoid tissue. Like you know, we have glands around our body called lymph nodes or lymph glands. Yes, like and the sweat glands. Yeah, we've got like not lymph sweat glands. No, not sweat glands. Sweat glands detox, are different. Right? So lymph gland, there's a, there is blood that takes nutrients and oxygen to your cells, and then there is a fluid that a self cellular fluid that needs to be drained from cells as well, and that's called lymph. And you've often seen people who've got problems with lymph drainage; they're very swollen. Um, sometimes after an operation um, or after if they've been bedridden for a while they can get um, poor lymph drainage and you get these very swollen legs or parts of your body often the skin pores can be shown so this lymph fluid is a fluid that bathes the cells and then it get dra- gets drained away from the cells and this um, lymphatic fluid uh, goes from those cells to lymph nodes and you have strategic lymph nodes in different parts of your body than any bacteria or infections or even cancer that's, God forbid, in those cells will get taken to those lymph nodes, and those lymph nodes are a place where um, there are different, uh, call them lymphocytes, um, fighting cells, immune cells that either will take care of the bacteria or the virus, or it will be the first drainage place of certain cancers. They go to those lymph nodes, and you'll hear sometimes that people, when they have those ca- certain cancers, they'll present with just a lymph node or they'll have to have the cancer cut out with the lymph nodes cut out as well. So those lymph nodes around our body are there as um, fighters for the immune system to drain certain areas, and it stops the infection from draining to cert- or even um, cancers from going to other places in the body. They're often the first, pla- the first stop for, for the bacteria or for the infection or for the malignancy. So uh, we have tonsils and adenoids in the nodes, and those are, are in the ear, nose, and throat, and those are lymphoid tissue, so they're filled with immune cells. And any bacterial viruses that go into your mouth or your nose, will they will get trapped either inside the tonsils or inside the adenoids. So I like to explain the adenoids that they are the tonsils of the nose. So you've got a ring of lymphoid tissue protecting your upper airway, because as you can imagine, most of us get sick from... Entry of germs, bacteria, viruses. Airborne bacteria. Airborne, yeah. yeah, or even through your hands. So touching things and putting goes into your mouth or into your nose. You breathe it in, people sneeze it out, or cough it, uh, or even coughing. So it goes in, it's your protection to your airway, to your lungs. So the purpose of your nose is to warm and filter the air, and often the bad stuff that gets filtered there goes to the adenoids. And from the stuff that goes into your mouth, especially in children who are on the floor biting, holding things, eating things off the floor, those um, viruses and bacteria will go and get trapped inside the tonsils. So the tonsils are there as a defense mechanism. So there's a ring called Waldeyer's ring, and that's a ring of lymph, lymphoid tissue, which consists of tonsils. <coughs> the ones that we see are called palatine tonsils. Those are the two um, almond or oval-shaped 
tonsils at the back of the throat. Then there are tonsils on the base of the tongue called lingual tonsils. And sometimes when people also have a sore throat, they get pain at the back of their tongue. Then you get on the side of the eustachian tubes called tubal tonsils. And then there's the adenoids, which is are basically the tonsils of the nose. And those are behind the nose um, above the throat. What do they look like? Can you see them? You can't see them. You have to look through the nose. So when we check them, we either put a camera in the nose to have a look or you can do an x-ray and you can see if they're blocking the the airway. So they look like the tonsils, very similar to tonsils. They're a fatty type of, look almost like a fatty type of tissue similar to tonsils and they sit at the at the back of the nose. And it's a single unit. There's actually not more than one of them, even though so we say adenoids, it's really the adenoid patch. It's like one... Uh, one adenoid. Okay, uh, that was probably the best description I've ever heard of describing what tonsils and adenoids are. Okay, good. I'm Thank glad you. because a lot of people <laughs> a lot of people don't know what they are, and there's a lot of myths around them and uh, and what they are and what they do. Okay, so I'm speaking to Dr. Dean Gerson. We're talking ears, nose, and throat today, uh, specifically tonsils, adenoids, and pediatric ENT problems. If you want to get in touch. This is how you talk to him. 061-895-1019. You can send a telegram message and uh, he'll see them directly. That's 061-895-1019. Send a message on telegram or you can SMS on 34519. If you would like to engage with, uh, with us. On Twitter, you can do that as well, and the handle is at HiFM, C-H-A-I-F-M. I'm Kathy Kayla. This is the Diskem Medical Monday. My guest is Dr. Dean Gerson. This is Medical Monday, brought to you with compliments of Diskem, pharmacists who care. I'm Kathy Kayla. Thank you so much for joining me for the next, uh, I'll be your host for the next 50 minutes. This is the Diskem Medical Monday, and uh, speak to some of the world's best experts on, in this space every Monday from 10 until 11. Today, talking tonsils, adenoids, and pediatric ENT problems. That's ears, nose, and throat problems. If you've got any questions for my guests, my guest, then get in touch. And this is how you do it. 34519, that's the SMS line. Those SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50. You can also uh, send a, a telegram message on 061 eight nine five one zero one nine and uh, my guest is dr dean gerson he is an ent in private practice and uh, sometimes an entmp that's it depends on the day. Day. circumcision okay. Yeah, so, okay all right so you've you've given this incredible descri- description of you know the the lymph system and how tonsils are part of it's made out of lymph tissue yes so it's part of our defense system yes. right so, so we've got them in our nose at the back of our tongue um, the eustachian tubes in the back of the nose yes where exactly are the eustachian tubes the eustachian tubes that's the tube that joins the ear to the back of the nose okay and it's those pressure equalizing tubes that when you go in an airplane or sometimes when you're cold when your ears blocked and you hear your ears popping that's the eustachian tubes opening and uh, closing you could do an entire show on on your station tubes and the problems with your station tubes. Really? Yeah. So uh, maybe very, we should do that. Very, 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 yeah, very, very common problem. People presenting with blocked ears, clicking no, uh, sounds um, in their ears. And uh, the problem with what can, the eustachian tubes open on both sides of the adenoids. So what happens often if the adenoids are big, they can block the eustachian tubes. And, and you can get earache. You can get earache, you can get fluid in your ear, and that can cause infections and hearing loss. So the adenoids, often when kids go for grommets, we did a show on grommets a while ago, you often take out the adenoids as well because they can be uh, causing the ear problems as well. Okay, so here's a question. Yes. Should we be taking out adenoids if they're part of our defense system? So it depends. Sometimes... Um, we, don't, we never take out anything in a rush and we always look for reasons not to operate. Okay. Um, someone once told me a good surgeon knows when not to operate and don't go looking for something you don't want to find. Oh. And another thing, you cut, you cry. That <laughs> <laughs> okay. means you have complications. Everybody right. has complications. Okay. So why would you take out your tonsils and adenoids if you need them? Because sometimes they can be too big or hyperreactive. Okay. So there's two big groups why we take them out. The first one we'll talk about is too big. Okay, as we know that children, especially picking things up the floor, they go to crash or nursery schools, they keep on picking up bugs and uh, different sicknesses and illnesses, and your tonsils and adenoids can enlarge, and these that's all usually present with chronic blocked nose, mouth breathing, and snoring. 
And it isn't just a horrible thing, oh, I'm snoring, he's waking me up or whatever. Uh, it's noisy. Snoring can be very dangerous. If they have uh, large adenoids and large tonsils and it causes very bad snoring, you get something called obstructive sleep apnea, which can be in children and adults. And obstructive sleep apnea can cause very bad lung and heart problems. And sometimes when I used to work in government, because access to health was so bad, children would come in in heart failure, and it was because of their enlarged tonsils and adenoids, and you would cure them from that, from the airway obstruction. Wow. So if the adenoids or tonsils are very, very big, that there's causing sleep apnea or severe snoring, that the child's waking up at night, then we remove them. Because the benefit of removing them is more than the... I guess of not removing them because not removing them and giving them serious health problems. They often have something called daytime somnolence where the child is terribly tired in the morning even though they've slept the entire night. They're very, very tired in the morning, hard to get up, falling asleep during the day in school afterwards because they've been the whole night snoring and they actually haven't been, they've been waking up the whole night. Just not aware of it. Just not aware of it, yeah. So that's uh, why we often take them out for obstruction. And uh, parents will usually come to you with the child's mouth breathing and snoring. So that's one reason we take them out. The second reason we take them out is because of recurrent infections. So there's different criteria that different people use. The main one is called the Paradise Criteria. And that's more than uh, seven episodes or more of tonsillitis in one year, more than four episodes a year for two years, and more than three a year for three years. But there are some little changes on, on that if the child's having febrile seizures or they've been admitted for tonsillitis or an abscess, it's been that bad before, then we might consider taking them out, even though they haven't met those criteria. So some children's immune system or people's immune system, their tonsils are hyperreactive, and every time they get exposed to a certain virus or bacteria, they get a severe tonsillitis, and it progresses to... Um, them not being able to eat or drink severe pain and fever and can result in days of work lost or days off school and that's why we that's why we take them out. Okay, why is um vomiting associated with tonsillitis when it's in your throat? So often it's often more of a problem of not being able to swallow and gagging. So there's when your tonsils are so severe, uh, so severely enlarged, and you have such pain, you won't be able to swallow properly. Um, that's called odynophagia, or or that's pain when swallowing. Dysphagia is when you're una- unable to swallow. And sometimes people can't even take oral medications; they can't take antibiotics because it's so hard to swallow. And that's when we'll actually admit them for intravenous antibiotics and fluids because they get dehydrated and they can't swallow. So the, I think the vomiting is more associated just with the, the actual gagging and being unable to, to swallow. There's often nausea from as well from the post-nasal drip and the throat pain. Um, just getting back to tonsillitis. Yes. Right, so you've got these tonsils and, yes. they, and they've become toxic for whatever reason. Yeah, they've either picked reason. up a bacteria or virus. Very rarely they can pick up a fungus, but... Uh, mainly viral bacteria. Most tonsil- episodes of tonsillitis start off as viral, and then you can get a secondary bacterial infection um, after that. How do you know when you should be looking at having them removed? Okay, so so we follow those criteria that you have such severe tonsillitis that you've been admitted or had an abscess on your tonsils, or that you're getting tonsillitis very, very often, six, seven times a year, then you're probably six, seven times a year documented on antibiotics, not just seven, six or seven sore throats That's a year. terrible. Eh? People often come to me with severe sore throats and it's not tonsillitis. They've been put on antibiotic after antibiotic and it's still um, sore. And one of the causes of a chronic sore throat is a post-nasal drip and acid reflux something called silent reflux. When you're sleeping at night, the stomach acid comes out of your stomach to the back of your throat, burns the back of your throat, and you've got this throat that's on fire. And it's uh, often treated incorrectly with antibiotics where it's reflux. Oh, sure. You've just opened up a whole can of worms Yes. about about this. Okay, so let's just talk about, I want to talk about reflux and, yes. the, and the impact that that has on our ears, nose, and yes. throat. Um, okay. I remember going for flu, I went... Um, a while back, yes. And the first thing the doctor said, "Are you coughing at night?" I said, "Yes, my coughing is waking yeah. me up." He said, "Do you have reflux?" Yeah. So I mean that that became like a, I mean it wasn't, but it, it 
it became like it's, I think it's become a bit of a standard question. Yeah, I think I don't know why in the in the past 10, 15 years reflux has become a very popularized topic and often overtreated. That everyone's just on you speak to everyone's on Nexium. It's become like almost uh, that everyone takes a Nexium, aspirin, um, a cholesterol drug. And, and Listen, we could all take it if we got group discounts. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone is almost like I tell them like car maintenance in like your twenties you're going to a reflux onto a reflux medication in your thirties you'll probably go into a cholesterol drug forties maybe into high blood pressure drug in fifties onto a diabetic uh, diabetic is just like oh ma- you know maintenance and service of the machine. Um, but but, yeah, baby, so but babies are, are taking Nexium. So mean, yeah, so reflux. Yeah, so reflux. Re- so it depends. Do people actually tr- treat you based on your symptoms or? Uh, is it based on um, a proven investigation? So you can uh, symptoms can be, and this is diverging a little bit, but uh, chronic sore throat, cough, hoarse voice, and often bad sinusitis or ear problems can be from reflux as well. You lie down at night, your valve between your stomach and your esophagus relaxes, acid goes up, and this, the key thing is that if you don't feel heartburn. You know, people usually classically, people say reflux, they think, okay, indigestion, heartburn, pain in your chest or in your stomach area can get something called silent reflux, which is very, very prevalent that when you're sleeping, your acid goes up because of that, the valve is lax and it burns your throat, burns your vocal cords, can the inside of your station Mm -hmm. tubes causing ear problems and also the back of your nose causing uh, like a chronic tonsillitis, adenoid inflammation and sinus problems as well. So we often have to treat for reflux at the same time as we're treating for those uh, other ENT problems. Absolutely fascinating. If you've got any questions that relate to ENT, that's ears, nose and throat, and uh, you've got your own questions. It doesn't have to be specific to tonsillitis or tonsils and adenoids. Then uh, get in touch. And this is how you talk to us here in studio on 101.9 High FM. You can send an SMS on 34519. Those SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50. You can also send a telegram. And that number is 061-895-1019. It's pretty nice if you sign your name, uh, but you don't have to. It's absolutely fine if you don't want to. So uh, my guest is Dr. Dean Gerson. He is an ENT. He's an ears, nose, and throat surgeon in private practice. And, um, yeah, that's what we are talking about today. We're talking about ears, nose, and throat. And also we're going to be talking about pediatric ENT um, problems. So uh, that's what's coming up. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. I'm Kathy Kayla. Thank you for joining me. And um, my guest today is Dr. Dean Gerson. He is an ENT, that is an ears, nose, and throat surgeon. He's in private practice, but we bring him in to come and talk about all these, all these issues around ENT and P's, um, because he has just got such a very, very good way of explaining, and so that we understand the concept straight away. Okay, so um, Dr. Gerson. We were talking about tonsils. We were talking about the, um, you know, your, this protective system that we have that's based on the lymph system. Tonsils, adenoids, they're the same sort of tissue. As the lymph, as the lymph nodes. And, yeah, and, as very, lymph nodes. and very important as well, just to, I forgot to mention, is that we have many, many lymph nodes in the neck as well. That's why often when you have a tonsillitis or a sore, th- um, a sore throat or any problem with your teeth, infection in your teeth, your nose, You'll often get a lump in the neck at the same time, and those are the lymph glands draining from in your neck, uh, lymph nodes draining the infection from in your neck before they spread to the rest of your body. So very, very common in children. The most common cause of a neck lump or um, a lymph gland in the neck is dental problems, and then they get something else called a lymphadenitis, which is the lymph nodes draining from a skin infection. Have you ever seen children, or they are either prone to scratching their face, picking their nose, getting insect bites on the face, and often if those get infected, the bite might be tiny and you might not notice it, but they'll present with a big lymph node in their neck, which is basically where the infection is being fought. I've actually never seen that, but it makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, have you but felt... Also, if you've got a sore throat, yeah, then there's oh, my glands you, you are swollen. You get your glands are swollen. Right. So those glands, are that's where the infection is being fought as well. Okay. Let's talk about uh, other pediatric problems i mean what are the pediatric so most uh, so most of the uh, problems i see in children are 
enlarged tonsils and adenoids, and we take them out. Just to answer your question from earlier when you said about Mandy and the tonsils growing back. Yes. So when you take the tonsils or adenoids out, uh, with the adenoids especially, you don't remove 100% of them. One of the reasons is, A, because it's a very difficult space to get to, and you don't need to remove 100% of them because the problem they're causing is obstruction with breathing and snoring. So you need to reduce the size size of them, exactly. And also, when we speak, our soft palate uh, needs to be able to close. Otherwise, you you know what you sound like when your nose is very congested, and then that's hyponasality, and there's something called hyponasality, where if you remove too much adenoids or your soft palate is very loose and flapping, that you will sound, you'll have very, very nasal speech. So it's important not to take actually all the adenoid out so that they don't develop this uh, hyponasal speech. The, with the tonsils, the tonsils are in a capsule, but right at the bottom of the tonsil, there's a very, very um, close area where the tonsil at the bottom joins the tonsils of the tongue. And sometimes what happens is there's a lot of blood vessels there that not the entire tonsil is removed. A tiny little bit of tonsillar tissue is left, either because it's joined to the tongue or because there's a lot of blood vessels there, or because it's not necessary. And sometimes people then can get... It's very important in people with recurrent tonsillitis that you do take out those areas, because then they can still get tonsillitis in that tiny little piece of tonsil that you've left back. So if you leave any lymphoid tissue or lymphoid lymphoid tissue behind, like the tonsil adenoid, there's a chance that during inflammation or infection they can regenerate and regrow. But in general, it shouldn't be if you've taken out the entire tonsil. Adenoids, yes, if you've left adenoid behind, they can enlarge. Again, you might need to do a second procedure. We generally take out 70, 80% of the adenoids. I thought for a minute we were like turning into those lizards Mutant. from, oh, yeah, mutants. The mutants. Lizards from, from V. Yeah. You know what I mean? We, the lizards regrow their tails. We can yeah. regrow our tonsils. No. So that's, uh, so if there's a little bit, yeah, I can only regrow them if there's a little bit left behind. Okay. Can't grow them from scratch. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yes. Yeah, so it's not the only organ that we can regrow, though. Um, I mean, I think we regrow our liver, don't we? Yeah, liver is actually one of the amazing things that can regenerate you. Yeah. I don't think there's anything else. That's incredible. Yeah. Okay, so let's just move a little bit on to pediatric. Okay, uh, so so mainly tonsils and adenoids. Yes. But the, uh, the other important thing which we've spoken to about before is ear problems in children because especially at the ages, you know, um, below below three, they're learning to speak. Well, all the, actually until six, they're learning to speak. But um, And if they can't hear properly, then it can impact on their balance, on their stabilis system, on their speaking, and on their overall development. So if they're not hearing properly, they can't repeat the words properly. And I've had a very sad case of a child who was stayed back a year because they thought they had remedial problems, but it was actually just, you know, the ears. The child couldn't hear properly. Wow. So children uh, use station tubes, which you said is the tube that joins the ear to the back of the nose. And the purpose of that tube is to equalize pressure between the middle ear and the nose. And we can feel that when we're going up and down in altitude, either on a plane or in a car, you can feel your ears popping to um, increase, to equalize the pressure. And in children, those tubes are very, very short and horizontal. In adults, they are wider and they're more vertical. They run down from your ear towards the back of your nose. Where children, they're horizontal. So you don't have that gradient to drain the fluid. And when you don't drain the fluid properly and don't equalize properly, you get a buildup of fluid in the ear. So that fluid's not infectious. It's not an ear infection. And it may go completely unnoticed. Usually it's picked up um in a few ways. The first way is recurrent ear infections. That ear fluid is like a jacuzzi for bacteria. Um, if they find it, they will multiply rapidly and have a big party there, and that will give severe ear infections. And that, So if they pick up anything in their nose or their throat, it's going to go straight up to the ear. Yes. The second thing will be that they'll present with uh, sleeping problems, especially in younger children, because it's painful. Your middle ear is a very, very small place, only millimeters wide and deep, and now it's filled with fluid, and your eardrum starts to bulge, and that's extremely painful. The ear is very, very sensitive. There are five nerves that supply the ear. Um, On a side note, you can get often ear pain from a tonsillitis, from a toothache, because it's all referred plane from one of those nerves that's going to, to the ear. And uh, also from reflux, you can get, people can present with ear pain. They get such... That's sev- incredible. Yeah, so they, I know especially uh, pregnant women, get a, um, they get a lot of smooth muscle relaxation. They get a lot of reflux. And they'll come in and they'll say, I've got a terrible sore throat, but it's only on one side, but no fever, 
nothing like that, like it's a tonsillitis. And I'll say to them, which side do you sleep on? And they say, no, we sleep on the left. And I know when they're sleeping at night that they're having acid reflux that's going up their throat, burning their throat. And that burning in the throat goes to the pain in the throat because of the referred pain of a nerve called the glossopharyngeal nerve goes to the ear. And you get ear pain, but it's actually reflux in the throat. That's incredible. Yeah. Okay, so getting back to... Oh, sorry, getting back to the children's ear. Sorry. Um, We were saying that it's very painful because your ear is being almost uh, filled with with fluid. Children, then when they put down, the pressures increase, so they might just be crying through the night, waking up frequently through the night, not wanting to lie down. That's the second thing. And the third thing is it's very important we have most schools, all schools should have screening, hearing screenings every year. And that's often one of the times where children's ear problems that are going unnoticed are picked up. And those basic screenings will uh, test the pressure in the ears and they'll see the fluid in the ears and they will also test certain frequencies in the ears to see, make sure the cochlea is working. And that's how it's picked up. Sometimes physio OT children with developmental delay or balance issues, not uh, delayed milestones, not sitting, walking, not crawling, always have before they... Um, start therapy will have their ears checked because fluid in the ears can also do that delay the development walking to standing, crawling often at kids who you do grommets on and the next day they start kind of literally immediately uh, the next milestone incredible, yeah. it was just waiting it was wa- it was well just yeah, waiting. it was just waiting Yeah. Um, what's your feeling on children drinking from bottles yeah so I, I think obviously it has to be done, I mean you can't it's very easy to dish out advice um, you know, that's not practical. And I can tell you it's not ideal, but if if you can't breastfeed the whole time or when the child's older than breastfeeding, then it's uh, difficult to restrain a child from drinking a bottle. But if they're going to drink a, a bottle, they should, and they've got teeth, they should always brush their teeth after the the bottle because they can get caries from the milk. It's got sugar, sugar in it. Sometimes the milk will reflux to the, um, if they're lying down flat to their to the ears, to the eustachian tubes, cause them to be inflated and get ear problems. But so they've uh, got this backward flow it's of like fluid a, yeah, into, yeah, into yeah. the ears, and, and yeah. it's milk. And it's milk, but it doesn't go right up into it doesn't go right up into the ears. Mm. Um, but I mean, I would never tell a person not to stop um, drink to, get, to tell the child to stop drinking bottles. I would tell them maybe the method of doing that they should maybe be upright when they drinking not bottles or you are not being down, lying down or on a or on a wedge um like a wedge pillow keep their bed up on on bricks like the tokoloshi um put bre- bricks on one side so that the the bed's upright and also if they've got reflux in a child to keep the child up 45 minutes meaning upright so put them in a baby carrier or in maybe one of those uh, balances and keep them upright so that you don't get reflux to the ears and so that the food stays down in when the stomach. Do, when does that eustachian tube, you said in, in kids it's horizontal. It's horizontal, it's short, and it doesn't function properly. It doesn't open and close nicely. Right. So usually the age between five, six, or seven, somewhere there. That's when it starts yeah, dropping it's and sta- it, it starts becomes more Because of the shape of the head, if you look at the ba- a baby's head relative to the body, it's very big and... The ears are quite horizontal, a similar level to the nose. In adults, your head kind of widens and becomes much smaller relative to your body. And those eustachian tubes age more around five, six, seven, probably closer to six or seven. It starts, um, they start opening up yeah. and elongating and, and functioning better. A little earlier, you touched on, uh, hear, on hearing tests and yes. hearing screening in schools. Um, you've probably got stats better than I do. Yes. But... Um, because you know, when you look at kids today, yes, they've got these little earbud, ear earpieces in their mm. ears. Firstly, one having something in your ear. Yes, so there are a few problems. Does that include? Does that increase the chances of infection? That's so that yeah. So and two is hearing loss. Yes, so those are the two problems associated with in um, ear hearing devices, and also with cotton buds as well, which are. I don't say which keep you in business. Which keep me in business. <laughs> so the problem with a lot of the, the yeah, good for business, bad for patients. Um, the the problem with those in ear earphones is first of all, and I actually had someone me last week coming with one. He was using earplugs while he was davening on at shul so that he wouldn't be distracted 
But you you know those foam ones like that mm. you would u- use on the aeroplane or maybe when you're shooting or okay. whatever you use, um, and you'd squash them and push them in, and yes. that, that often will push the wax back into your ear. And if you injure the skin in your external ear canal, that skin is so thin and it's on top of cartilage and bone that it comes infected extremely easily, and it's extremely painful. So those I do see pa- those uh, in ear earphones. I do see patients who have impacted okay, so on, impacted wax from them, so yeah. it pushes the wax in, and people who have hepatitis externa, which is the fancy way of saying an outer ear infection, so infection in the ear canals. Okay, so um, there are times when we all have to use ear pl- earplugs, yes. right? Whether, as you say, it's at the shooting range or at this guy who was davening because obviously yes. people behind him just couldn't keep yes. quiet. Um but there are times when yes. one does need to use those earplugs. Yeah, I know so exactly which, which ones you're talking yeah. about. I've never even thought about those this. Have you ma- ever thought about this, Craig? You have thought about yeah. how bad so it is. So it's funny. Okay. When you pull those out, you sometimes will see the wax on them. But they, they're genuinely quite soft. But some people have different – some people have very small canals. Some people have curved canals. And some people have eczema in their ears, actually, or skin problems. And yes. all of those things predispose you to getting outer ear infections. Because the small and curved canals um, promote wax impact, well, wax impaction because the wax can't fall out by itself or come to the outside of the ear by itself properly. The second thing is that if you have any type of eczema or irritation of that skin and there's broken skin there, any further irritation, whether it be with a cotton bud, an earplug, swimming, scratching, you know, is going to give you an otitis externa, which is an extremely painful um, infection on the outside of the ear, and we spoke about it in a previous um, previous interview, interview about swimmers' ear, and it's very relevant to say now because we're coming to to summer that if water does get stuck in your ear, that um, that is a very very common thing. It's not a middle ear infection; it's an outer ear infection, severe severe pain. So we've got to be very careful to dry our ears properly after swimming you can just use a towel you know to jump on the side like up and down so that uh, it's actually a very unpleasant feeling to have water, water in your, in your, your and ears and the worst part is if it gets stuck behind wax you should have it um, you should take a look at it because it's often difficult to get out that water if it stays there long enough it's going to become stagnant yeah um, the the Native Americans yes they've got a technique where they actually take like a, it almost looks like a scroll yes and they oh the candle it's like it's, it's like a it looks candle. unbelievable I've seen videos of it I'd love to see it in in real life yeah I just want, I've seen I've heard of people burning the inside of their ears and if you don't know oh. it properly but it draws it I don't think it's from the wax actually burning. I think it's from a suction. The that suction creates, it creates a vacuum. It creates like a vacuum and uh, yeah. and pulls it out. I have I have heard about that. Okay, so just to explain to you, if you haven't seen it or you don't know what we're talking about, it's this is a it's like a little roll. It almost looks like a straw. Yeah, and it's covered. It's made out of paper and it's uh, covered in wax. And you lie on your side and you put the you put it into your ear, and then you light the other end. And as yeah. it's burning, it creates this. The suction to kind of get the flow going. I'm sure that's pretty cool <laughs> if you know how to use it properly, but I wouldn't do it if you don't. No, well, you've got to have somebody there yeah. as well. Yeah, you know? yeah. But I'd be interested to know, so I'll see if I can get my hands on some. Try, we can try. And then I'll, I'll bring it to you, and then you can, we can test try. it out. We can give patients options. We can say either we can suction your ears, we can rinse them, and um, we can pull it out manually, or we can use the candling. Yeah. Um, very, very <laughs> painful to, often to have uh, wax removed from ears. You've got really? Very, yeah, well, it depends. Different people, you'd be amazed. Different people in different races have different types of wax in their ears. Some people's wax is very soft. Some is very hard. Some is very fla- <laughs> flaky. Some of it's pretty gross, I won't lie. Um, and some of it is very, very hard. And you've got small hairs on the inside of your ear. And when you're pulling out the wax, it pulls the ears with the hairs with, with it. And if that wax is not soft, it can be extremely painful. So sometimes if I can see it's painful for the patient, we'll give them some softening drops, some um, oil drops. There's a few types of sweet oil, wax oil, serum oil, different drops that can soften the wax. And then when they come back, it's much, much easier and more gentle to take it out. So interesting. Um, I was speaking to somebody who has had their genetic um, profiling done. And as part of the genetic profile, they give you a breakdown as to the things that you're likely to have, likely to have blue blue or light-colored eyes. And they've got their earwax 
Yeah, so yeah. And that's genetic. It's genetic, yeah. That's, that's it's unbelievable exactly because there are some said. people I mean, who come to me. There's a, a girl who comes to me every two weeks to have her ears cleaned because she produces so much wax. Really? But so much wax that if she leaves it, she won't be able to hear. That's often people come to you with, they're very scared. And it's very, very relieving, as you can imagine, and gratifying that they come to you with their ears completely blocked because of wax. And they can't hear now, and they think it's something very, very sinister. So how should we clean the inside of our you ears? shouldn't. Your ears are, your ears are self-cleaning. No, no, no. I, I, I your ears are self-cleaning. No, hold on a second. Yes. Hold on a second. All right. So you've yeah. got your inner, inner, yeah, yeah. right? Which you shouldn't touch. You can't touch it. It's too but far towards in. the outside. Oh, you mean that's still your outside. That's still your outside. <laughs> so you've got three parts to the ear, the middle ear. Which is the part with on the inside of the eardrum, and then you've got your inner ear, which is your cochlea and your balance um, equipment right. or apparatus, and then you have your external ear, and you shouldn't enter past the outside part by your penis. So your ears are self-cleaning. Whatever needs to come out is going to come out by itself, and whatever's not going to come out, you'll have to get rem- if it's causing problems, you have to get removed by an ENT or a doctor. Now the problem is that if there's most people want to dig inside the ear and get wax out. But they often cause more damage by pushing that wax in. What you should, you know, there's a common saying, it's quite stupid, but it makes sense that you shouldn't put anything smaller than the size of your elbow in your ear. I have heard of that. Yeah, a lot of people say that. Um, so literally you should just take a, a, fa- a wet face cloth and clean the outside of your ear with your finger. So if you can't get that in, then you're not meant to be inside your ear. If wax is near the outside, you can do it. There are people who say, no, they're very, very, uh, gentle and they take uh, cotton buds and you know clean the outside but they don't go far in but even that can cause uh, a tastic soon I just tell people leave your ears if you want them clean then come in to have them clean because you're probably going to cause more problems trying to do it yourself how long does it take it depends how hard your wax is so if it's very very uh, loose and easy I mean it's almost like an ice cream scoop that we use a very tiny one that we use under microscope and pull the wax out, almost like spoon it out. Um, if it's deeper, then I'll use a microscope and suction. And uh, sometimes we can use syringing to um, wash the wax out. The risk, though, with syringing is leaving water in the ear and causing um, infection if you um, if you don't dry the ear properly or take the water out of the ear properly. Yeah, sure. Very involved. It's a lot more involved. What do you think, Craig? Yeah, Craig's our, our engineer today. My guest is Dr. Dean Gerson. We're talking tonsils, adenoids, pediatric problems, and anything to do with ears, nose, and throat. If you've got any questions, please get in touch. This is how you talk to me. 34519, that's a text line. Those texts are charged. Those SMSs are charged at one rand fifty. Or you can send a telegram on 061-895-1019. In addition to that, you can also tweet, if you like, at CHAI-FM, C-H-A-I-F-M. I'm Kathy Kayla. His name is Dr. Dean Gerson. And this is the Diskim Medical Monday. We'll be right back. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Diskim, pharmacists who care. Yeah, this is the Diskem Medical Monday. My name is Kathy Kayla, and thank you so much for joining me. And uh, thank you to Diskem for doing the wonderful work that you do, because they really are pharmacists who care. My guest today is Dr. Dean Gerson. He is a, an ENT surgeon. That's an ear, nose, and throat surgeon. And, um, yeah, if you want to get in touch, this is how you do it. You can send either an SMS on 34519. Those texts are charged at 150. Or you can send a telegram message on 061-895-1019. And uh, unsigned wants to know, Dr. Dean, what can one do about tonsil stones? What are tonsil oh, stones? Okay, so tonsil stones... No, this is, I'm sorry, this yes. is just like people are just more competitive. One person gets kidney stones, yeah. the other one has to have something else stones and gallbladder stones or gallstones, and now we've got tonsil stones. Okay, it's yes. a new level. Well, thank God tonsil stones aren't, uh, they're annoying, but they're not uh, as uh, devastating or damaging as... Well, they'll not be painful, though. No, they're not at all. So basically the tonsils have folds and ridges in them as a part of the way that they collect the saliva or the bacteria or the bugs. And food gets stuck in these folds and ridges. And food, old food and saliva and secretions get stuck in these ridges and they calcify. And when they calcify, they become tonsil stones. And tonsil stones look like small little white 
dots on the tonsils often can be confused with a tonsillitis, but the, the patient won't be have sick fever or sore throat. They'll just have these white tonsil stones. And the only way to get rid of them is to manually remove them. So some people do it at home if they can, because, you know, you can gag a lot if you try to touch your tonsils. So some people use a toothpick. Some people use, I don't know, a toothbrush. Um, I will spray the throat with local anesthetic and, and try to pick them out. But the only real way to remove them is to remove the tonsils. So I always tell you I look for reasons not to operate. If you can deal with it and remove them and you're surviving without them, then I would not remove them, only if it's become very, very So would they bother you? I mean, would you be able to feel no, them? No, you won't be able to feel them. It's something that you'll see when you look in the mirror. But it might be might present with halitosis, smelly breath. Um, chronic tonsillitis can do that, or foods getting stuck in your tonsils can do that as well. Okay. This, explain to me where the tonsils are and what they look like. Okay, so these are the palatine. Okay, this is, I know so that when, this is yeah, going back, but yeah, I'm just yeah, so thinking when, why so would we, food get stuck there? It looks smooth. Yeah, so the tonsils that we colloquially refer to are the palatine tonsils, and there's two folds. If you open your mouth, you'll see that there are ridges that form arches at the back of your throat. There's two ridges, um, and you will see between those arches, you'll see at the back of your throat you have your uvula in the center, which is that small hanging little tongue thing. And then if you follow those down to the left and the right, you'll see that there's an anterior fold, meaning one that's in the front, and a posterior fold, and one that's in the back. And between those, you will see the tonsils. So then the back, right, and left of your throats between those folds, some people's tonsils are huge genetically, and they don't cause any problems. And some are small, and they cause massive problems. Usually the ones I've seen in my experience of recurrent tonsillitis are small little tonsils that just cause massive problems by getting infected and the large ones are the ones that cause uh, snoring problems um, rare but a lot of uh, most people coming for tonsillectomy will have um, they usually won't have large ones that get infected and are causing snoring problems. Another thing I just wanted to say about um, having your tonsils removed is that it's much easier to do as a child that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Is, why is it so much worse to have your tonsils so as an adult? So than there's different theories. Ab- there are different theories about it, but I think the main one is that the tonsils are actually meant. A lot of people grow out of the the snoring because as you grow older, your mouth gets bigger. You you stop needing your tonsils as much to fight your immune problems because you're not eating stuff off the floor, picking stuff off the floor. You've stopped being at crash and Well, I don't know. There that is that five-second rule or yeah, three-second rule? I said 13-second rule in my house. <laughs> Depends. If the, dog, if the dog doesn't get it, then we'll uh, take it. Um, you know, they say sterile, smeral, the floor is <laughs> clean. So if, if you can wait and put it off... Um, Obviously, always look to avoid taking out tonsils, but you should out, children should outgrow the big tonsils and the tonsillitis. Now, the problem is the older you get, the more episodes of tonsillitis you have, and that causes scarring and fibrosis, and the tonsils get stuck to the or attached to the inside wall of the throat. And I've had grown giant men crying, literally in tears, after to- taking out their tonsils yeah. that they wish and they've had it done. They say it's more painful than childbirth. I've had mothers telling me taking out your tonsils as an adult is more painful than childbirth. So I will not take out tonsils of an adult unless you are ill, 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 and you really, really um, want them out for a good medical reason. We won't just take them out. Something that we haven't dealt with is hearing loss. Yes. Because of the inner buds, you spoke about hygiene and how you know using yeah. um, headphones that actually go into your yes. ear. So that, and oh, how so that's increasing. There's two reasons risk. for the for the hearing loss. One, pu- pushing in the wax, and that prevents transmission of sound through your ears. But if you listen to loud sounds for very long, loud sounds for many hours, more than eight hours a day, you can cause significant hearing loss, which is around the frequency of 4,000 hertz, which is near the free speech frequency. So we usually, we, but previously they used to see people with hearing loss who worked, you know, in occupational noisy areas. We worked in factories or building sites. Um, I've even had people, hairdressers from the hairdryer, very common for dentists actually to have hearing loss from the drill. 
You know, what about these guys who do construction on the yeah, side yeah, of the yeah, road? Yeah, they never, ever, yeah, ever wear yeah, safety uh, gear. Yeah, not here. Yeah. In South Africa, it's probably not. Or probably you don't get in trouble. But overseas, you must see the restrictions. And they should have occupational health and safety. You know, eye protection, I mean, mouth and nose protection, ear protection as well. They, I mean, everyone should should have it. But uh, you will get occupational hearing loss from that. And that's usually noise-induced hearing loss. And you can see in patients who wear the earphones for long enough and musicians even who don't wear earplugs and protect their ears that they do get hearing loss after being exposed for long enough to the loud noises. Gosh. My guest, Dr. Dean Gerson. He's an ENT. He's an ears, nose, and throat surgeon. If you've got any questions, give us a, you know, drop us a line if you've got any questions. 34519, that's a text line. You can also send a telegram message on 061 Eight nine five one zero one nine. My name is Kathy Kayla, and this is the Discam Medical Monday. This is Medical Monday, brought to you with compliments of Discam Pharmacists Who Care. You're on one hundred one point nine High FM. I'm Kathy Kayla, and this is the Discam Medical Monday, and uh, this is where I speak to some of the world's best experts in their fields. Right now I'm speaking to ENT surgeon, ears, nose and throat surgeon, Dr. Dean Gerson. We've been talking about tonsils, adenoids, pediatric problems. I want to run run a myth past you. Yes. It may be a myth that might be true. And uh, in fact, before I do that, let me tell you how to drop us a line if you've got any questions. You can SMS 34519. Those texts are charged at 150. You can also send a WhatsApp on 061-895-1019. Um, I've heard that it's called the triangle of death. It goes from the bridge of your nose yes. to the sides of so your mouth. I haven't heard of the triangle of death, okay. but I've heard of the danger triangle. Well, yeah. Okay, maybe well, triangle of death, probably in some places it's called that. Yeah, so that anything that goes wrong in the middle of your face. It's very dangerous. Yeah. It's very dangerous. Yeah, so, so I even to the extent that you shouldn't pluck nose hairs, so is that true? Yeah, so it, it, it's not uh, anything that goes wrong, but if you get an infection anywhere in that danger triangle, which is kind of your upper lip, your nose, and then the... It's like bridge of your nose bridge to the sides of your mouth. Below in the inner of your eyebrows, and why is that? That's because the veins in the nose... Um, do not have valves. Usually veins have valves so they prevent backflow. So if you've got um, a problem in the vein of your hand or in your in your foot, you know, there, there's a valve to stop the blood from flowing, flowing back. And that's why you get varicose veins when people's valves are incompetent and blood flows back and then they pull in, in, in the veins. But when you get an infection, and it could be an infection as small as a, a ingrown hair or a follicle that's infected, a hair follicle from plucking a nose hair, or from a small pimple on your nose, that can spread direct into the brain. And I have seen it before, so it's not just a, a myth. So it's actually true. Yep. So those veins that go from your nose into, they go via your inferior ophthalmic vein, which is a vein through your eye and your orbit, and they go into a big vein into your bra- in your brain, which is called your cavernous sinus. So it's not uncommon for an infection in sinuses or in the nose or in that danger triangle, if it's untreated and it's a bacterial infection as small as a pimple or as a ingrown hair, for that to go back into the brain. And it's very, very important to get those, um, to get antibiotics for those. So the danger triangle isn't a myth. And you taught about it in second year, and then you, if you do ENT, you will see the results of that, unfortunately, of untreated nasal infections, yeah. So what should you do if you have a pimple on your nose? So usually you can treat most of them with a... Um, local antibacterial like a Bactroban ointment or even one of those pimple creams which contain an antibacterial on them. But if it's persistent and you get further redness or swelling and pain, the cartilage on your nose and your ear is very, very sensitive to pain. And once that pain starts and it's severely painful, you probably should go get it checked out, get an antibiotic and a little bit of cortisone for that. Um, And a lot of people will get, on the inside of your nose, there's a bacteria called Staph aureus. I don't know if you've heard of it. Staph, people say, what, Staph infection? Anyway, it it sits on the inside of your nose and breathes on the inside of your nose. And that gets, that gets, um, they breed on the inside of your nose. And they often the source of a reservoir for bacteria on the rest of your face. 
So you have the people will tell you to put bacteria on the inside of your nose, and that will kill the breeding place for staph. People get colonized, and this bacteria, staph aureus, likes to live on the inside of your nose. And if you create an opening for it, if you create an opening for it, then that bacteria will get into your skin. So it's it's like a good bacteria that kind of lives on your skin, a normal commensal, so meaning just the bacteria that lives on your skin. But if there's an opening for it to get inside or somewhere, then it can become pathogenic. So um, that's especially common if you pluck your nose hair or cut yourself on your nose or get a pimple or something inside your nose. It's this bacteria, Staph aureus, that usually gets inside. Okay, what's the best way to clean your nose? I mean, bearing in um, mind that... I guess blow it. Yeah. Um... And there are various saline rinses and douches that uh, we can use. Can we talk use. about neti pots? Yes. So a neti pot. It's funny. It looks a lot like of patients Aladdin's call them neti potties, and I was always uh, think of babies' <laughs> potties. Yeah. So it there's looks more. Like lamp. Yeah. So there's more modern <laughs> things than neti pots, but they're very good in the way that um, it's almost a way of getting saline or water into your nose with a pre- with a bit of force and pressure because. The saline sprays are fine just to moisturize your nose, but they're not going to remove really stubborn mucus or gunk that's caught inside there. So there are sinus douches or rinses, which are almost a pressurized nasal wash, and they'll go in one side and come out the other side. Your nose connects at the back where the adenoids are. There's an opening. You almost have, you have nostrils basically at the back of your nose as well, and they're called coanae, C-H-O-A-N-A-E, and those will open at the back of your nose. And the neti part of the sinus rinse or sinus douche will wash that mucus and come, it will come out the other side. So they, they are good if used properly. Absolutely fascinating. Um, I saw something else that if you are using a neti pot, mm. only use sterilized water. Yeah, it's so that, not enough to use warm water from the tap. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, you have to use saline. Yeah, so the, the, th- the reason for using saline is because you don't want to dry the mucosa and you, water can be quite harsh or harmful. And, uh, it can you know, carry bacteria. Can carry bacteria, also has chlorine in it, it can be quite drying. So the ad- advice on it is to use boiled cold water because that's like distilled water. I haven't really seen patients, I wouldn't advocate it, but I haven't seen any really complications if people use warm water from the tap. But the instructions on the bottle say, and the best way, is boiled cooled water or distilled uh, water, and usually put a sachet into it to make um, saline. Dr. Dean Gerson, that is where we leave it this Thank week. Thank you for Please don't me. be a stranger. Come back soon. I'm sure you will. I will. I can come. And uh, organize next month. Choose a topic. <laughs> <laughs> you station tubes. Okay. <laughs> That's uh, Dr. Dean Gerson. He is a he's an ENT surgeon, an ears, nose, and throat surgeon. He's in private practice. You want to get in touch with him. You spell his surname G-E-R-S-U-N, Gerson. And uh, I wish you and your family a Shana Tova. Amen. An easy and a m- meaningful fast. Yes. And uh, we will see you on the other side. Please, God. And just a quick note is that Diskim Medical Monday won't be here next Monday or the Monday following because of the Jewish holidays. Um, so, unfortunately, yeah, we're going to have to see you in three weeks' yeah, save time. Save your questions for that. Yeah, save your questions and uh, yeah, it was so many questions this morning. <laughs> very quiet, very very quiet in Joburg at the moment. So uh, thank you very very much for joining us, and uh, to you I wish you gemar God bless. Bye bye.